Welcome to In the Landscape, a podcast on all things landscape design and care related with your hosts, Kate and Charles Sadler. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of In the Landscape. We're so glad you're joining us this week, and we hope we bring you another interesting and entertaining topic all about landscape design, care, gardening. Sometimes we even do straight gardening, and actually today that will be our focus, something Mm -hmm. to do with the garden itself. We don't always have our fingers in the dirt, as it were. Sometimes we're talking history and travel and design concepts. But today's all about how to develop great soil and compost in your own yard. And even on a larger scale for properties that you may be caring for, what are some guiding principles for keeping that soil in good condition? I'm Kate Sadler. I'm one of your hosts every week. And in studio with me is my co-host, Charles. Good to be here. Hi, Charles. And Charles is going to be a guest on a couple of different shows coming up. I think we know your recording date, so we'll have to find the broadcast dates. But do you know Mm -hmm. which two shows you're guesting on? Well, see, the one I remember, the podcast is called something very similar to Plant a Trillion Trees. I think that's it. (laughs) That's a cool, that's a super cool one. And both those hosts are certified arborists. And I've been catching up on some of their episodes, you know, to to sort of learn the flavor of, they had a real neat show where they had the person who was something like a landscape curator at Smith College and who was a certified arborist. And he was talking about tree risk assessment on the campus and implementing new initiatives. Great. So that sounds like a great one. And um, we'll certainly make an announcement on our show once the once that uh, episode drops. But if you like our show, you're interested in some other landscape podcasts, that sounds like a good one. And honestly, um, if we ever misspeak, <laughs> if it's not printed right in front of our eyes, there's just something about like recording on the air that's so challenging. You, like, <laughs> you question whether you remembered things exactly or not. So. All right. And you know, the other one, I don't think it'll be till the new year. That's Carl Moulter, oh, who yeah. is one of the hosts yeah. of, it's a radio show out of the, well, I guess is it Southern New, it's like the New Jersey, Philadelphia area. Mm-hmm. The radio show is an FM show. Uh-huh. I think it's called Into the Garden. Yes. And we actually shared your Boxwood episode on, it's in, it's one oh, of right. our, yeah, it's one of our special episodes. And so we'll probably do that again once we have that audio, just because as a radio show, you can certainly link. And I think stream it on their website for sure. But um, but we try to make it available to our listeners as well. It's a fun format. And, and one of the innovations, I mean, now that, that Zoom and Skype and other things are more common for meetings, some of these shows that I'll be joining, that is how they'll be recording it. Nice. As opposed to going into a recording studio and being live. Or even calling on the phone, which isn't always the best audio. Right. We've, that's how I've done it before. Yeah. So it's... I mean, it's reasonable. It doesn't sound like it's from 1800, but it doesn't sound like <laughs> like it's the 21st century either. Right. Yeah. No, the audio is certainly, we're certainly getting many, many tools to help us do things remotely, which has been helpful as we kind of hunker down. And, and it seems like maybe doing that again in earnest this fall and winter while we kind of wait for world events to unfold. And so today's episode really is about kind of tending almost to our own little plots or cultivating in our gardens and and sticking close to home. I am excited because we have been 
We got a new shipment of tools from Bergen and Ball. Oh, right. And so uh, we've added things to the website. So and we test them for, out, you know, when we get them. I work, mean, it's, it's exciting <laughs> to open them and to see there's a different lines, right? There's the Sophie Conrad, who's a UK, UK designer. And so that line comes with this quite beautiful packaging. Mm, it's like very, very elegant. refined, yeah. elegant. Then there's, I guess, the Royal Horticultural line. Uh-huh. It's also very beautiful. It's a little more, it's not quite as high design. Right. But they call it their professional series. So right. if you really need, I mean, sometimes searching on the internet for tools, it really anything, you just have so many options. It's, I mean, I bought like a uh, hair scissors, like a barber's set because mm-hmm. I'm cutting my hair. At home. Right. It's a home. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, if I were, if I had actually gone to school and studied that, I would probably know what brand to look for. So mine looks like a good set. Like it comes in the little case. It's got the special scissors, but I don't know for sure that the quality is very high. And right. given what I tend to pay for things, it's probably not. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think one of the things we strove to do when we were deciding whether to rep any tools at all was not just have it be like a free-for-all, but find like one specific brand that we knew was going to deliver quality. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if the price point seems a little high or like you're not quite sure, it just has the backing of people who, who live and work with tools every right. day. I'm on Amazon every five minutes buying random stuff, you know. For something that's really got to work well for you in the field, we think that these are a good fit. So right. that's that's kind of why we've become our own sponsors. And <laughs> right, and that, that Royal Horticultural line—they're very high quality. It's durable. Yeah. And there's that term like, "What's a product's Achilles heel?" Everything has an Achilles heel where it's going to wear out. But mm-hmm. a well-made tool, the different parts will wear equally. Mm-hmm. So it's an example would be like beautiful cashmere sweater, and the zipper goes way before the sleeves do. So these tools are quite, they're simplistic in design, mm-hmm. which is what you want for a tool. The well, like, like the least amount of things that can break. And in order to highlight them, we're, we, we should, um, we're always announcing things before they're ready, but we should be getting out there and doing some more like how-to videos and, oh, right. and kind of demoing these, not just the tools, but providing sort of demonstrations that you can find over at our, our YouTube mm-hmm. channel. So. Yes. So we might even do that. I mean, your mother has a nice garden. That might be a spot to do some nice photo demonstrations. So, mom, if you're listening, we're going to come over and prune for you. <laughs> we'll show up. <laughs> My mom is quite a good gardener. She's just ripped out a bunch of hedges so that she can get a path to her front door. So she's oh, right. uh, she's one of those intrepid gardeners who just works so hard at it. So I get out and rake some leaves for 15 minutes. I've shared this on the podcast before. Like I water for 20 minutes. I'm like, I need a break. That was some hard work. <laughs> and my mom is just out there for hours and hours, really getting it done. And, and that is what you need in a lot of cases to right. actually make progress in the landscape. Yeah. Interesting. So today we are talking compost. I am a big believer. Well, so compost, my first introduction to compost really was with with my mom. So she always had a compost bin. And I remember she turned it once and I saw that it was steaming. And she kind of explained at the time the, you know, organic process that's happening, that it's not Mm -hmm. just that. And I guess it's like understanding that things don't just kind of like rot, like rot is not, it is an actual process that's being you know, facilitated by microorganisms. Like there's Mm -hmm. an actual, you know, 
ecology that's happening there. Things don't just rot and it's like this macro level thing. It's like very, you know, microscopic and active and, and beneficial in a lot of ways to, right, there's to be microbes, state. funguses. And as I understand it, it can even heat up to the point that they'll catch on fire. Oh, right. You know, I've seen that some of the large commercial suppliers will have a, like a, an intermittent irrigation system that'll be wetting the compost piles. And there's sites, I don't, remember, I don't recall exactly where it was in the U.S. I think it was in the U.S., but it was, it was in the newspaper where it was, it might've been a commercial property or residential. It was not a single family home. It was a large and mulch was applied and there were all these fires that were breaking out. That it was, you know, you apply say three or four inches of mulch that has not been aged that long. And it could depend on the weather, humidity. I'm sure there's lots of factors. And the fire department was called multiple times. So I think think they might've had to remove it. It's so it's something that seems so simple. It's not foolproof though. If the, whether it's mulch or compost, I mean, there are certain guidelines to follow where it can cause a real problem. So compost it can seem, I guess, maybe to people who aren't, I think people who like compost really like compost. <laughs> like it's really cool. You know, there's like compost tea and worm casting tea and all, you can get into all kinds of things. But in essence, you're taking organic matter and kind of tossing it into a pile and letting it decompose. And I think maybe the impression could be that that's just dirty. Like, you, you know, are you attracting pests? Is it, is it somehow toxic to have this all going on? I do know that one, one thing you do not put in compost is animal material. But the um, decomposition of, say, like a, a chicken, a half-eaten cooked chicken would just be, that's where the nasty smells and you just oh, right. steer clear of that. It needs but to be like plant material. If it's plant material, especially if you're mixing leaves and like woody, not quite woody plant material, but my understanding as well is that if it's like all vegetables from your kitchen, it can get a little soupy and strange. That you mm. need to have kind of a combination of materials going in there in order to be creating a healthy mini biome. I don't know what you call mm-hmm. it. So, so there are a few rules there that it's not just it's not just a trash dump, and you do need to tend it and turn it and and. It's on on your local. Humidity, yeah. the amount of rain. If your site where you live is quite rainy, that would be different than if it's a very dry site. I mean, our in- compost bin had a frog in it for a while. Pepper, we oh, call right. it. Because every time we would go, we would see pepper in there. You know, and so pepper was probably feasting on all the little flies that were coming. It's not like there's no, it's not like it's an, a clean process either, but it's certainly not like your garbage can, you know. Right. And well, I mean, some of the benefits of compost, whether it's like no matter what scale, whether it's your kitchen vegetable scraps or like a waste from your landscape, whether it's leaves or lawn clipping, it's to take that out of the waste stream, which mm-hmm. would be your local municipal waste. So that is a big benefit of it to keep it on the site and sort of basically repurpose it, recycle it. I know when we lived out in California, you actually had. You had your recycling bin, your trash bin, which was often the smallest, was the trash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you had your green waste bin. And oh, so right. there are some communities that have on sort of like a civic scale, 
you know, collected the clippings and stuff. And and I imagine they're the ones making the compost and then selling it back to gardeners. So. Right. I mean, I, in our travels, I see that occasionally. I think in Portland, Oregon, we saw mm, that. Yeah. <laughs> kind of naming the obvious. <laughs> I think New York City, Green I places. think, started doing that. I do know inside New York City, like when I lived in Manhattan, you could collect your kitchen scraps and then take them to... I want to say it would be like the farmer's market in the different areas Mm -hmm. and there'd be a compost collection center. So, you know, it's a nice option. In that case, the recommendation was to kind of collect your items in a um, a compostable, they do have compostable little plastic baggies and keep it in your freezer. Because I mean, it's it's not going to be the most pleasant. No, I mean, you, you do... You can get certainly you'll get fruit flies if you if you have your compost somehow just sitting out on your kitchen counter, especially in an apartment in Manhattan, you're going to have issues. So it's not something you want, you know, right in your house or next to your house. You kind of want it out somewhere in the yard. And there's lots of good guidelines. Like yeah. here in the U.S., there's the USDA, even um, the EPA. I found an a uh, what do you call it? An article composting at home from the EPA.gov mm-hmm. forward slash recycle forward slash composting dash home. And so it has the basics, the benefits and how to do it at home. And you can even compost things like eggshells, coffee grounds and filters, tea bags, nutshells, shredded newspaper, cardboard. There's certainly. more and more packaging too. Mm, like certainly true. Occasionally we'll order takeout. I mean, in some states, the takeout containers, they've like outlawed or banned styrofoam. I mean, I don't know what the percentage is. So occasionally takeout will come in like a compostable material. Mm. Well, and this list is even, so again, this is the epa.gov website. And the list includes, so some things are new to me, um, cotton and wool rags, dryer and vacuum cleaner lint. That's a new one, but I'd be happy to uh, compost that hair and fur, and um, fireplace ashes. So, oh, interesting. I know. So it's, it is quite, quite diverse. diverse range. And then it does tell you some things like what not to compost and why. I promise the whole episode is not just going to be read, me reading a website, but this is actually pretty interesting because it mentioned things, and maybe you can talk more about this, like black walnut tree leaves. Oh, so there's right. some plants that you even said there's a term for it. Right. Uh, now, somebody used it. I don't know if this applies to universally but the term is allopathic so i mean some plants give off toxins Mm. to protect themselves so i might not this might not apply to every that word might not apply to all situations Mm -hmm. but so if you have it came up when there was lawn under a veteran a very old tree so Mm -hmm. the lawn is competing for nutrients and moisture with that old tree so a way to give that tree an advantage is to remove the lawn so you have some vicinity around the tree. There's no lawn, and there could be other, which we can go into, other materials. So there are, let's say, black walnut has a toxin, which is, I think it's in every part of the plant. It's in the roots, and it could be in the leaves and the other parts. Mm-hmm. And so that, it helps it compete. So it puts out a toxin that not every plant, so there are some native plants that are immune to it. Mm-hmm. Like a service berry, possibly a hawthorn tree, possibly some of the viburnums. They could grow in close vicinity to a black walnut. Mm-hmm. But if you put a row of arborvitae or rose bushes, they might not be able to. 
And so that same toxin, it can stay, even if the plant's not alive, that material could be an issue. So you have to do a little investigating. If it was dispersed and those leaves were mixed in with other leaves and it was, then it may be okay. If you're getting compost or wood chips from your municipality, the danger of there being these kind of toxins is pretty low. Well, that but makes if, a lot of sense. The but if you did it yourself, where you cut down a big black walnut tree and then you use that mulch everywhere, that could be have bad consequences. <laughs> <laughs> yes, don't do that. Okay. And then some other recommendations are to avoid coal or charcoal ash, just because it says there may be substances harmful to plants. Of course, I mentioned things like dairy products, fat, grease, and oil, meat or bones. And it's just because of the odor problem really, which will certainly attract certain pests that you don't want. I'm not, I wouldn't say our compost pile smells good, but it's not that (laughs) off-putting. It's not like, it does not smell like a garbage can. It's just Hmm. a totally different kind of organic. It's certainly the more and more it breaks down, it almost ceases to have, it's not like manure or anything like that, that has like that really strong odor. Mm -hmm. It just has, it ends up getting that kind of like earthy smell that Mm -hmm. like the microbes have done their work and, and it has been transformed. There was another that was, oh, well, okay, pet wastes, which I think most most of us might be aware of, that there's just things in there that we don't want to perpetuate necessarily. And I'm sure there are great microbes that break all that stuff down too. We just don't want to be the ones to <laughs> foster the process. And then of course, yard trimmings treated with chemical pesticides. Oh, so, it, right. you know, certain plants have like lawn. toxins already in them, but a lot of us treat for different things and whatever you've treated with may still, as you mentioned, especially if it's your own personal compost pile, the concentration might just be too high to consider. Right. Doing, and you can ask the landscape provider, you know, like, what are you using? And you can look up the chemical. There's a, it's like a people in the U.S. here, we have a social security number for an individual and the, the different, if it's a chemical, it would have a number mm. and you could look that number up and it would say, you know, not carcinogenic or can cause these problems in this dose. There's like a biography mm. with that number. Well, the same would be true with anything that has pests, uh, insects or disease. Like you certainly wouldn't want to mulch your boxwoods that have blight and then put that on your soil. Oh, right. <laughs> be very careful perhaps to have things diagnosed before they go into your compost and then back onto your landscape. That's true with many types of leaves too. Yeah, like I the, can see that. Like apple trees, hawthorn trees get mm. a cedar apple rust. So if when in doubt, it's better to take those leaves out of it. And that information is available online. You know, to say I have, I've got this type of a tree. We've got a mango tree and it has a funny spot on it. And so you could look up and it's pretty easy to diagnose it now with the internet. There's uh, groups that I often rely on because you could do, you could do harm if it was a fungus and then you're mm. mulching that and spreading that. Yeah. So good to be careful. I mean, it does sound easy, but then there are things that we, you know, you, you need to be aware of going into it. Certain guidelines. Yeah. Another thing that you have pointed out is, and I actually love this feature of compost <laughs> That you often get volunteers and they're quite hardy. So we've had tomatoes, squashes, they kind of like spring forth from the, you know, this rich, delicious melange of (laughs) rotting (laughs) vegetables. Those can be transplanted and they're usually quite successful because they've had a really, really vibrant start. But if you happen to be including seeds for things you don't want to have kind of perpetuate, 
then, you know, you just want to be careful. So maybe not the seed heads of grasses that you don't want to have coming right. through. If you're doing like weeding, be, think very carefully that you don't put the comp, that you don't compost those weeds. Right. So that's pretty much kind of the, the things to be watchful for. And then what are some tips for getting, getting started? Do you need a bin? Does a pile suffice? I mean, the bin keeps, as I understand it, there's a critical mass and like a density. Mm-hmm. So if it's a pile, well, you think of like housing, you have like a single family home or a skyscraper. So you want in a bin, you can have that density where mm-hmm. like all the surface area is, it's more or less concentrated in a pile. It wouldn't be so. Well, and I remember with my mom's pile, like if you had stuff to take out, you dig a little bit, like it was nice and really robust. Like most, for the most part, it was ready to kind of be spread around. But if you were adding anything to the pile, you didn't want to just sort of dump it on top. It, oh, you're almost right. recreating a process that's already well underway. And mm-hmm. so if you kind of fit, tuck it inside, that stuff is going to decompose that much faster, I guess. Right. The different kinds of bins that I see and in our pre-meeting, we were talking about when you visit successful guard, public gardens, whether different types of institutions that are really doing professional horticulture, they almost always have an area of compost bins. Mm-hmm. So, and those are in various stages of development. So it could be like fresh leaves are in one, and then one is maybe six months old, one's like two years old. Mm-hmm. So a three-sided bin which you can imagine like the front is open. Mm -hmm. So that's a little more flexible. That's if you're going to be manipulating it, regularly working on it, adding to it. If you have the luxury of like lots of space or a decent amount of space and lots of time with these more or less public horticultural sites that I visit, they'll have three bins or six bins or eight bins and they're in different stages. Mm -hmm. And so like the last bin is the compost is black and delicious and it looks like a, like a rich cup of coffee. You know, it's, it's almost mm-hmm. soil mm-hmm. and that might be probably more than a year old and then working your way. So they're, they're basically aging these bins mm-hmm. and over a period of time it becomes available. And so those bins are four-sided. They, you, do, you want some air circulation. Mm-hmm. So it's not, so the sides could be a chicken wire. It could be wood lattices where there's, gaps so there's air circulation when it's four-sided you can imagine it's not that easy you have to get up on a on a ladder or something high to access that so it's fairly labor intensive so if you have a staff of people that's practical because the four-sided bins you could do large volumes where Mm -hmm. they're four feet by four feet six by six eight by eight it'd be a very large quantity of of compost and leaves i mean i see home gardeners do it where they have two or three bins that are side by side and they could be open. And mm-hmm. then that way it's sort of what a public garden would do, but on a slightly smaller scale where you have fresh compost. And so when I'm speaking of this, I mean, it's like mainly things from a landscape, mm-hmm. not as much home kitchen scraps. Right. So this would be like Which leaves. Which might and- be another consideration in terms of how enclosed you want it, because it's not that, I mean, you may get pests that are attracted to the, like let's say it's a half-eaten apple or something or an apple core, there's still going to be some edible material on there that hasn't broken down just yet. So that's another, I think one of the reasons you bury it as well is just to 
thing to dissuade pests from moving in. <laughs> it's good to have it away from your house, yeah, too. Exactly. I mean, whether it's a matter of feet, not to have it up against your house. No, say. I would certainly say not. But by the time it's like compost that you're going to actually like amend your soil with, it's really in a condition that like no one else is good. It, it is dirt. So right. you know, microbes are eating it, but the rats are not coming around. So mm-hmm. you may have an open bin that has the shovelable material in it. And then the closed bin is kind of doing the, the work of breaking down mm-hmm. stuff. And, and there's bins where you can make it where that fourth side opens, mm-hmm. like, like a gate. And you definitely want to have an ability to water it. So as we said, like it can get quite warm. It's not likely that it's going to catch on fire, but one of the motivations for keeping it moist is to facilitate the decomposition, but also that that does discourage little pests from moving in. So things like Mm. mice might, because it is warm. And so if you're in a cold environment, you have like this warm compost pile that's churning away over the winter. It's important to kind of keep an eye on it because you Mm -hmm. can it should be uninviting, but if it dries out, it, it can become quite cozy. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so just a few recommendations there. And so sort of like adjacent to this would be your municipality, your village, your town, your city. They may also be doing this. And mm-hmm. so it's, imagine a large, well, like any size municipality, they're going to be removing trees and yard waste often. Mm-hmm. So they often are creating different stages where like wood chips would be sort of like raw material and then compost is in the middle and then soil would be like Mm. after quite a bit of time. And so Mm. it's often available in different municipalities I've been familiar with. If you bring your own material, your own container or vehicle, it's often free. Mm -hmm. If you're working with a local landscape contractor, there's all different grades of compost. It's good to have like to know the pedigree which might sound funny, but to know like, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. Just like, if it's a municipality, it's probably safe. If it's someone you're hiring, it's good to inquire, like, where's this coming from? Mm-hmm. Just to make sure that mm-hmm. there's not anything in there that could be harmful. All right. So I have a question that does actually tie in with design and, it, and this might sound funny because I, I certainly wouldn't want to like create the impression that there's a difference between like capital landscape design and, you know, capital G gardening, like that the, the gardeners are not doing design and that the landscape designers are not, don't, aren't aware of how to garden and maintain plants. I mean, I guess sometimes those are mutually exclusive, but I certainly don't think in the way we conceive of the landscape. So, so with something like compost, which is so beneficial and, and really kind of like recycling makes you feel good because you see Mm -hmm. like the amount of waste in the trash bin goes down and that kind of thing. Have you ever been asked to incorporate compost bins into a design or they kind of, you know, because we sometimes hide our, our, uh, our garbage bins and things in these designs. And then how else is compost kind of featured in landscape design? Yeah, you know, I have been, I mean, it's more and more common where people, people want to grow their own vegetables and so having an edible section with fruit trees, raised beds, that's quite popular. That mm. We regularly include that in a design. And then people often have compost bins. So sometimes we'll recommend like a design, a style. It'll be an element. It's important to think of that, that it's, it'll be a little similar to a kitchen garden. A kitchen garden with herbs and vegetables, it should be near the house. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be tromping through. You don't want a five-minute walk to it. 
I mean, unless you're uh, Monty Don, maybe and have you know, <laughs> just like, gorgeous like garden and keep acres dogs. and acres of. Yeah. But I bet his is even close to. So it would be the same with the compost bin. It should like ours is it's relatively convenient. Yeah. So you use it. So that should, that would be part of the design, and then also, I mean, it could attract pests. There could be an odor, and that would be also part of the design. Mm-hmm. So if you could have it on the side that's near the pool and the patio, or the side. Let's say it's the north side of the house that's not as much used. It's better to have it in a spot where it's convenient, but not in a place you're going to gather. Although, if you're careful and you tend to it and and are careful about what you put in it, it shouldn't. It should not attract. You shouldn't have that yeah, problem. You shouldn't have too much difficulty. But we don't have that trouble. I mean, in Texas on the hottest days, if you open the lid, you might <laughs> be aware that there's plant pro- like. <laughs> plant product in there but that's the nice thing about it is that it really should be but but you know that's the other question that we get into a lot with clients is you know this seems like a great idea but what's your level of commitment to the maintenance of things mm-hmm. and you know that's like having a, a water feature a fountain or some court it's it's a commitment are you mm-hmm. going to stay with that i mean it's going to have you know annual maintenance if it breaks down we're going to call a plumber so when you say that and they say oh sure or they're like, oh, I don't know about that. So one more thing to maintain. So when you're doing a design and putting in a tree or a shrub versus like a full productive vegetable garden, is compost that important? Or is it something that you use in every planting job? How does it work? I guess it depends on on the soil. So we generally do a soil test mm. or a soil assessment at a minimum. If it's a new development, the soil sometimes it's pretty poor. Because they've like stripped it off, right? They like, they remove a bunch of soil in and some compact cases, it. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, to have, from an engineering point of view, when you do driveways and foundations, it needs to be compacted to a pretty significant level so that your walk and driveway mm-hmm. doesn't crack. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but that is often detrimental to plants because then there's the soil's compacted. There's not, these beneficial voids for air and gases and roots to grow. Mm-hmm. So introducing, so on a, on a, like a common planting job where the soil's not great, maybe it's a new development, we'd often include maybe about two inches of, of compost, two to four inches in the beds. So we calculate, we've got, you know, 2,500 square feet of planting beds and we're going to be putting in three inches of compost in those planting beds. So the landscape crews are, are indicating where that goes. If there, maybe there's a lawn area or a patio area adjacent. So the, the phasing, there's different ways to do it, but ideally the compost goes down first, then the plants are planted. So you're disturbing the compost and it's getting mixed in. Mm-hmm. And then there's mulch of some type goes on top of that. Mm-hmm. And so that is, then you're, you're attracting all the, beneficial funguses, beneficial microbes are going to be eating that compost. And they eat the mulch too, right? It does eventually decompose as well, it seems. Right, correct. So in some sites where you want to improve the lawn area or like any vegetative area, using compost is a way to avoid using chemicals or chemical Mm -hmm. fertilizer. So it's, which I always advocate, we avoid that, you know, generally. It's introducing material for these beneficial organisms to eat. And they, in turn, 
that will it will loosen and help aerate the existing soil too. Mm-hmm. That there'll be this this cycle of activity. Well, we had a really awesome soil episode with my mom, whom I mentioned at the top of the episode back. I wish I could remember the episode number, but it was the soil episode. And we have a soil course ready to go. We have a little science bundle. So if you're curious about soil composition, uh, that's one of our classes that's actually um, all set and ready to go and and can accompany the the botany course or it can be a standalone. So uh, you can certainly go over to our courses page and check that out. Uh, Just another little plug there. But, But really just because, honestly, because soil is such a fascinating topic and how to assess it if you're a home gardener and, and kind of think through, again, this amazing sort of mi- microbiotic ecosystem that is crucial, even though what we're usually seeing are the macroorganisms that we've planted. So, so maybe check out that episode and certainly the course if you have any interest in going deeper on this topic. We welcome your ideas and uh, recommendations about compost. If there's something we neglected or something that folks who want to do indoor composting or something should should know. Of course, I mentioned saving scraps and taking them to a composting center, but there may even be ways to do it with the right bin on your kitchen counter right. to feed your house plants. No reason oh, not to do that. Oh, you're right. You can do that on that yeah. level. And yeah. I do that on a with our house plants, which are generally tropicals. Mm-hmm. When I'm pruning them and there's dead leaves, I always put that right back on top of the soil. Oh, that's a great idea. And so yeah. that is composting on a on a small level. Yeah. Okay. So any tips or anything else for this episode before we close for today? There's often demonstrations, you know, Mm. until your local cooperative extension, your local municipality, like Department of Public Works, uh, local botanic garden. There's often demonstrations on compost. Uh, Because it's not that this organic material wouldn't necessarily break down in a landfill, but as I understand it, things can be so anaerobic. I think mm-hmm. is the word that like they don't decompose the way they're supposed to. It's so compact. That weird methane or something. There's some something right. about landfill that's not good it, and it, it's not just it just sort of sits plastic. there like it's in a time capsule. Yeah, yeah. And so we want to reduce that burden as much as possible and just ensure that again we're kind of supporting the life that is in and of our soil. Um, and the compost can be used in addition to mulch in your planting beds. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's often root competition from trees. So to give perennials and shrubs an advantage, more material to grow healthy roots in, compost can be spread around your existing perennials, shrubs, and that gives them, it's an organic and sustainable way to give them beneficial nutrients. So send us your bin ideas, if you even have bin ideas. (laughs) Maybe some people are crafty and have created them themselves. And there's ways to like repurpose from from shipping pallets. Oh, There's yeah. all types of do-it-yourself ways with like quite simple materials. All right. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode of In the Landscape. We're so glad you joined us this week. Do listen to some of our back episodes if you're just joining us here for the first time. And if you're a regular listener, we're so glad you're back and uh, look forward to having another episode for you next week. So uh, we certainly hope you get a chance to appreciate your your own landscape sometime soon. And until next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. In the Landscape is brought to you by King Garden, a full-service landscape design, care, and education company. Enjoying what you hear on our podcast? We encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear from you. 
So drop us a line at connect at kinggardeninc.com. We welcome show ideas, gardening and design questions, and always corrections. We travel all over North America giving garden talks and leading trainings. Check us out at kinggardeninc.com for our speaking details, and also take a look at our online course offerings for more in-depth explorations of topics covered on our show.